0: Yeah, we had um, we had the leadership retreat this uh, Friday and Saturday, um, and yeah, yeah. I I came home last night really excited. Woke up this morning still excited for what God's doing. Um, one of the well, not one of, but throughout Friday and Saturday, there were multiple times where it's like the Holy Spirit in. In some cases, almost ambushed us with something that we weren't planning on. Because I mean, I did have an agenda. Um, yeah. I mean, I do that because I feel good. Like I feel like, you know, if somebody says, "Did you prepare?" I'm like, "Well, yeah." There's the agenda. I mean, I've worked on this. I mean, I do some do other things besides just one hour on Sunday when you all even allow me to do that. (laughs) But uh, the Holy Spirit, there was just multiple times where conversation would take us in a direction and we would all be pulled into it and he would begin to show us what the transition is looking like. He would would let us feel what the transition is feeling like. And I know everybody is feeling this at some level. There's different... um, Obviously, there's different perspectives because with Linda and I stepping down, Joe and Amanda coming up as senior leaders, the, you know, that's, that's a huge adjustment. Um, it's going to be a great adjustment, but it's still a huge adjustment. And it's, and I can just tell you that for those of us that are actually players in that adjustment, it's really a big deal. And it's, it creates areas of tension, it creates areas of mourning. It creates areas of expectation. Um, All those things are all happening, um, you know, at any given moment. And I was um, uh, aware, you know, as different ones were sharing over the two days what they were feeling, and we were like dialoguing through that, and, and even counsel that we've received. How do we You know, what pieces of that do we use? What pieces of it do we not use? How does this transition reflect the house and move through our core values and what's being established? Um, You know, so how do we do all that? And um, we we do it as a team is how we do it. And um, I said at some point, I think I said it yesterday, but at some point along the way, we got talking about the culture of the house and wanting to make sure that, you know that continues. That you know that's. These are our core values. This is our history. This is where we've come from. This is what God's doing. All those things, and um, and I made I made the comment that from my perspective, um, one, the culture of the house doesn't exist because I'm the senior leader. I get the I get to go along with that. I get to play a part in stewarding it, but I didn't create it. And since I didn't create it, it's not up to me to keep it going, nor is it up to Joe and Amanda to keep it going. They're just going to step into their part of stewardship. But it's here because this is what Holy Spirit has breathed in us. You know, We talk about experiments. Well, we are God's experiment, not my experiment. I'm in the Petri dish just like the rest of you. Yeah, It's his experiment. It's his doing what he wants to do to establish what he's establishing to create a unique expression not a better expression necessarily just a unique expression because there are those that are looking for this unique expression not everyone so he has other unique expressions he's got other petri dishes that people can find and and it works well for them there so it's not that it's that we're better than, but we are vital to Christ's expression on the earth. Because all you keep coming back because something is happening, right? When we, uh, you know, if it was just a movie theater, you'd go for two hours and watch the movie, spend $300, and then come home. But we're not, we're a community of believers. And so living life as a community is what brings us back. It's that that place where you might start and have been coming for a short period of time, so it still feels like you're visiting. It still feels like you're kind of that person. But there's that moment where that shifts and all of a sudden, you're family. From our perspective, you were family the first day you walked in. But at that point, it's not our perspective that is gonna carry it, it's your perspective. Because some people will come in and always stay visitor. They just don't let us in. I mean, they don't stay long. And oftentimes, when they quit coming, they see that as from a negative, you know, something negative that happened when in reality, for the most part, I mean, negative things do happen, but for the most part, it it happens because you just never let us in. You know, I know with Pastor Bob and myself and others, the number of times that we've dealt with married couples and their marriages are a mess, they show up here, And you start to get to know them. You start working with them. They may make appointments. And then you realize after talking to them, well, the real problem is the two of you have never let the other one in. Marriage doesn't work if I can't get into my spouse's heart. If all I am is just another human occupying space, that's not marriage. And all of us that have become married, We all know that there's that place where love and, and especially infatuation, it'll carry us so far, but I can't keep it going if it's just infatuation. I can't keep it going if it's just sexual encounter. At some point, something has to happen where my heart integrates into the heart of my spouse. When that happens, amazing things can happen. If that doesn't happen, sooner or later you run out of energy. And you get up in the morning and you go, I ain't doing this anymore. I've had enough of this. That's that smart bomb we just talked about coming out of a backpack. <laughs> <Boom>. <laughs> and Bob said I didn't have to be good at it, I just had to throw it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not aiming it. Anybody sitting there going, He's talking about me. I'm not aiming. I'm just blowing up the whole room. Don't take it personal, but take it personal. Yeah. So, so that, you know, we as a community, that's how community works. We're not community if I hold myself back and only remain a visitor. That's not community. You can come every week you can stay for the for the meal. You can eat food with us. But that's that we're not hitting community there. Community is when we we let others in and say, "Okay, I think I'm ready to just do life with these people." We we we've, we've determined as community that whoever comes in the door, we're interested in doing life with you. And we're going to do our best to make that uh, available. But at a certain point, you have to decide if you're going to do life with us. And that's that's your choice. I mean, we're not going to make that choice for you. We won't make that choice for you. But we will open the door. As has been said already, you can walk through. You can be a part. So, I, I'm just really thankful I, 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 that for these last two days. I said it was the Lord sh- has been showing us things about what the transition is going to look like, feel like. There were, there were some very prophetic moments over the course of two days that you know, we just became aware that it was a prophetic moment. We, did, we thought we were doing something else. Um, so God is very much in the midst of this transition. And... He's very much designed it to bring us to a place of maturity, but also to bring us to that place where we reflect even better his nature and his character, where we become his imagers even more so than we are. Um, I pointed out, uh, I, and it was this was something that just in my own head, it, it popped up because of something that was uh, said, but, So now we're starting into 2023. It was in 1983 that the Bible study in our house really coalesced and people started showing up on a regular basis. We were still calling ourselves a Bible study. We were scared to death to call ourselves a church. So you don't say that, but maybe, maybe we're a Bible study. So that's, that's 40, that'll be 40 years. This year, I can't remember which month it all happened, but it happened around 1983. Um, So for 40 years, things have been happening. For 40 years, God has been doing this. Um, When I think back over the leadership retreats, we haven't been doing those for 40 years. Um, Trying to think, we probably did the first one Around 2003, maybe? No, it wouldn't have been because I was too broken in 2003. I didn't want to go on a retreat with anybody. It would have been after that. Probably maybe 2005 or six after we had the encounters with Randy Clark and went to healing. Maybe, maybe it was in that time frame. But anyway, we started. Okay, we need to get away for two days and actually just get together and see what God's going to say. So we've been doing that for a while, um, and, and, and the Lord continually speaks. And then yesterday I'm thinking, okay, over the, from the time that we've been doing it, people have come and people have gone. In the 40 years that we've been, somewhere between just a house church to this church, people have come and gone. We've, mm-hmm. Leadership has transitioned. This isn't the first transition in leadership by any means. It it will be the first time I've quit. <laughs> <laughs> Only kidding. I love my job. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. That's really the theme. But um, um, so, but God has always been faithful, you know. And I and I, I told the story some time ago of when we went through the the um, um, shrinking time where people were leaving on a weekly basis, and we got smaller, 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 and a particular family who um, was here and were a strong financially supporting family. Actually, actually they supported us enough that they they almost were the only support we had. Um, They left. And I remember a dear friend of mine who really meant good, but when I told him that this family had left, he goes, well, might as well just shut the church down then. I mean, if they're gone, you guys can't even make it. Well, I I, I don't think that's why we were open in the first place. And so we didn't shut down. I went and got a job, but we didn't shut down. And then new people came in and, other, and things changed because the church never was dependent on any one family or any one person, myself included. God's the one that set this thing. That's it. That's it. He, he is the one that is, is moving us forward and he'll continue to do that. I think the best days of the house are ahead. I think there are certain things... That I've done, and we it, that have been in leadership here, certain things we've done, seed we've sown, things we've released, and in my tenure here, I've not seen the fruit from that. If anything, it's left me with, with points of frustration because I really wanted to see the fruit. I invested a lot of things and time into trying to get that to happen, kind of like the Jerry. You know, if if, if I'm trying to strike the rock, and I'm trying to make the phone calls, I'm trying to get the job done. And God's like, would you just let me do it? Would you just let me do it? And um, so it's that place of of waiting on him and realizing he's the one that's going to do it. It's his providence that moves on our behalf. And so certain things that we've sown and have, have waited without seeing fruit, this next generation of leaders, I'm convinced you guys are going to see it. You're going to see it. We planted it, but you're going to harvest it and you're going to do a great job. And it's going to go further. The house is going to go further than it's ever gone under my leadership. Um, And so I'm excited about that. I'm also excited that when that I'll get to see it. That's the good thing about becoming kind of the grandfather is I'm gonna to get to see it all, I'm gonna to get to rejoice in it all, I'm gonna to get to party with you all, and I ain't doing any of the work. <laughs> I just show up at the party and ah oh, it's granddad's chair over there. Somebody get him a plate. Say, <laughs> like, man, it ain't so bad. It's not so bad. So where the, Our best days are ahead. We're going to talk more about that in, in weeks ahead. We're going to, uh, in February we'll have our, our um, annual um, church meeting and there'll be a lot more presented then. But it was a really, really good time um, and I'm really full of anticipation of uh, where we're going and what it's going to look like. I want to talk though today just a little bit, um, uh, It's a, these are some new things that I'm uh, experiencing through foundation builders. But these are also some really core principles. And I think where we are right now, uh, different ones have said this over the last couple of years. I'm going to reiterate it again and hopefully put more emphasis on. Because I think when we talk, started talking about that we had this much on the timeline, and now we're down to this much on the timeline, but the requirement hasn't changed. So if we're not doing, doing it, we've got less time than we had when the timeline was here. Um, and this this is just in the area of financial responsibility. Um, there's a lot of things that are happening in our country. Uh, we you know we we kind of joke about it, but we all know that there are forces that push against us. Whether I'm at the get putting gas in my car. Or they're taking my car away and making me drive a battery. Or you know I go and get groceries at the store. I don't care where, where, you're, where you're at in, in interacting with our economy, everything in the economy has kicked up to where it's taking more of me just to do what I did a year ago or two years ago. I, I don't have the same extra. That I had. So there's certain things I can't change. I mean, I can go buy a couple chickens, but then I got to buy chicken feed. So you know, you have to weigh all that out. Is this is this is this an economically sound decision, or are, are eggs? It's easier to get them at the store. Well, when eggs were a buck ninety nine, it's easier at the store and eggs are six bucks for the same 12 eggs, you're like, maybe a chicken ain't a bad idea. <laughs> and chicken feed doesn't cost that much. And actually, chickens are pretty self-reliant. If you give them enough area, they'll scratch it out, and they'll eat about everything that's in the area and still lay eggs. So that's not a bad deal. So we have to weigh this stuff out, right? And, but the biggest issue, and this is the, where I want to put some emphasis today, is in this place of our personal debt. If, if right now you're carrying any amount of credit card debt, you've got to get rid of that. You've got to get rid of it. I mean, that just my, my sister and I were talking the other day. We have an equity line that we have for the business. We need that equity, equity line. It, it allows us to do things that we do in business. But at the same time, almost every two weeks, we're getting notice from the bank. It's gone up another another percent. So what we were paying, I think when we opened that equity line, we were paying, uh, I'll just say, we were paying 4%. We're pushing 9% right now. That's 5% that the bank is extracting from us above what it was already extracting from us at 4%. So we're at a point of going, you know what? That, that equity line allows for certain things, but it's too costly for that. So we're, we're ditching it. Now, to ditch it, we've got to pay off the balance. But it, it's, it's no longer cost effective for us to do that. So I'm not an anti-debt person across the board. I'm not Dave Ramsey. Right? I wish I, I, I would like to live the way Dave lives. I, I, I believe in what he says to get you there, so I'm, I'm not at all opposed to Dave. I just, in my life, there's always been a place where a certain amount of debt we tolerated because it allowed us to do a couple things But consumer debt is not it. Our equity line allowed us to do business, which allowed us to make money. For the most part, your credit card debt, you've you've used it for stuff that you probably didn't even need, or you could have waited and built up your cash and then just bought it, and then when you buy it, you own it. Credit card, I got it. I don't own it, and I'm now I'm paying more for it in the end than I paid for it in the beginning. It keeps coming. And I have no control over that, right. except to pay it off. That's the only control I have. <laughs> no, that one won't go away if you ignore it. I tried that, too. Yeah, that's not good advice there. So and we started talking about consumer debt years ago here. But that timeline's coming down because what happens is when the economy overall prices increase, mu- much of that, I can scale back. I can make some adjustments. I do have some control over that. I don't have to you know, eat out as many times a week. I can cut back on you know, this or that. So I-, I have some place where I can kind of push back against what they're pushing on me. My consumer debt, on the other hand, if, if all I'm doing is just making minimum payments, I'm losing every month. Because my minimum payment will never even scratch the surface. And my debt continues to grow. So you, you, somehow you've got to, to look at what you, what you have and start. And if you're dealing with consumer debt, Again, this is you know, just a Dave Ramsey principle. And any financial person, they all say the same thing. It's not anything new. But start with your smallest debt that you have, a consumer debt, and get it paid off. And then don't go out and, and buy something because I finally got that credit card paid off. Take that and put it to the next smallest debt, the next smallest debt. So you finally work your way, your, your paying power is going up because you're knocking out one more debt, one more debt, one more debt. I mean, that's it's not rocket science. It's just the way it works. But please, please, please do it. Cut back. Find something. Do whatever you have to do to get out from under that, because that noose is only going to get tighter in the years ahead. And, and if we're not careful, we're just going to find ourselves totally ensnared to the lender. And, and then we will have no control over our life because they're going to tell us what you're going to do. Um, Proverbs 13.11 says, uh, it just says, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever, whoever gathers money... Little by little makes it grow. There's this mindset uh, that many of us can get pulled into, where what I'm looking for, it's kind of like it's the lottery mentality. What I'm looking for is somewhere there must be a place where a lot of money's going to come in. And then we mix that with improper biblical theology and, st- and then start saying, God's obligated to do that. Well, he's not. He isn't going to do that any more than, I just continue to eat whatever I want, and I pray every day to lose weight. Maybe in that, if you're mixing prayer and fasting, it might happen. But we don't want to fast either. I just want God to do the quick fix. And God isn't going to do the quick fix. Because he's about maturing me, not turning me into a spoilt little kid who just whines and moans all the time because I don't get what I want. It's like, I say thank you because we need someone to say it. <laughs> we need someone to say it and call it out because we're all caught in it. Yeah, I, I have to steward my life. I do it in, in him, as has already been said. Rodney said that, uh, Jerry said that, others have said that. It, but I have to steward it. I have to be actively engaged in what is happening in my life. I used to be one of those people that, when I, when I worked for the state in particular, but even, even being here, I didn't think about my finances till I got my weekly check. then I thought about my finances. And I didn't pay attention to the fact that on my way to my weekly check, I'm spending money. And in my mind, I would think, well, I don't know. You know, I got $500. bucks, i am good. I can do this. I do that. You know. And then you get to the end of the week, you get your paycheck. And then you have to think about money for the first time all week, other than what I was spending it on. And I realized, crap, I don't have $500. I, got, like, I just went and checked my bank balance. I've got 11 bucks. What happened to my 500? You spent it, idiot. That's where it went. Nobody stole it. You gave it away. And then the more painful part was, and I don't have anything to show for it. I can't even, when you come, go, oh, look what I just bought. I don't even know what I did with it, because I went all week never looking at money. If you're going to move in a prosperous mentality, you need to be actively engaged with your money on a daily basis. I'm in our bank bank accounts every day. I check them every day. I'm making decisions based on that, about how I'm going to spend money this week because I know how much I have. And sometimes it doesn't always mean I can't buy it. It just means I can't buy it this week. I may not be able to buy it for three weeks. But when I buy it, I bought it. It's mine. And I don't owe anybody interest who's going to give me permission to keep it. Because you do know if you don't pay that stuff, they come and take it back, right? Notice that? I, I had a conversation with a guy from Scotland I don't know, a little while ago. And we got talking about taxes and, and you know, owning land and kind of that whole thing. So, go, so I asked him, I said, so what, because we were talking about you know, health insurance and their tax structure and so forth. And I said, well, what do you guys pay uh, for uh, property taxes? And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, property taxes. How much does it cost you? I mean, you, you own several hundred acres. How much does it cost you every year in property taxes? He goes, What are you talking about? I'm like, What are you talking about? And he's like, I don't pay property taxes. It's my land. And I went, What? He goes, it's my land. I don't pay taxes on my land. I'm like, you don't get a bill that says the property taxes are assessed at this amount and they give you a percentage and you have to pay it. He goes, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's my land. I'm like, granted, it's stupid, but I thought everybody did it. He goes, well, do you do, you do that? I'm like, oh, yeah. He goes, what happens if you don't pay it? I said, they take your land away. He goes, well, then you don't own it. If they can take it, you don't own it. He says, I can take my land. I said, that'll get you killed in a bundle. <laughs> I'm like, but we get trained to think in certain terms, and then we just go along to go along. I'm talk, I, you know, I'm not breathing revolution here so much, but it's just this idea that, you know, whatever I owe, whatever I owe from a consumer standpoint, if it's not paid for, it is not mine, and they can take it away from me whenever they want. And the only way I can keep them at keep them at bay, is to keep paying money. Until I finally pay it off. Now, I have a house mortgage, I get it. I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not a purist when it comes to no debt. I just think whatever debt we have, it needs to be minimal, it needs to be um, very directive, and it should be that whatever debt I'm paying on, that debt should be making me money, not costing me money. So, obviously, if you're paying on a mortgage, over time, real estate values go up. And so for me, that makes sense. Um, to, go, to, go, to go buy a new car makes no sense. I mean, I've only owned one new car in my life, and that convinced me it makes no sense. I don't even buy cars till they're broke in over 100,000. That's my range. Because you know what I've discovered? Four wheels and a steering wheel and brakes, they'll pretty much get me where I need to go. Now, I like a good stereo. I'm pretty partial to air conditioning. I've become very partial to heated seats. <laughs> <I know. laughs> And that heated steering wheel is golden. I don't have to have it to get where I need to go. It's a luxury. It's a nice luxury. If I can afford it, I'll buy it. But I don't have to have it, regardless of what the the ad tells me. I don't need it to feel good about me. I feel good about me because of who I am in him. And Paul said, I can be in times of lack and I can be in times of abundance. But whether I'm in lack or I'm in abundance, my heart is full in Christ. I'm paraphrasing. But we've been taught that consumerism is the same thing as wealth. And they're not. Consumerism is basically a lie that they use to keep the masses spending money so that we'll keep working for them at jobs that we don't even like. God's intent is to create wealth and use us to create wealth but wealth gets created when we're doing what we love doing and we're doing it because we love it, not because it provides a paycheck. If all I do is work for a paycheck, it's going to be a miserably long life. Because I'm always looking... That paycheck is everything to me. And again, it's kind of coming back even with paychecks. I, and this was, a, this was a huge lesson for me years, years, years ago when I was working for the state. If you're working at a job and the, po- and the possibilities of that job are $15 an hour, I don't care how hard you work, a job is only going to give $15 an hour. You can't work harder to get more. You're going to get $15. But if $15 an hour isn't enough, what do I need to do? Get a different job. Better yet, figure out what is it I love doing and start doing that. I can tell you that in the years that I've pastored this church, there's been good years and there's been lean years. There's been times I've been able to be here full-time. There's been times, and the majority of them, that I've had a, either went somewhere and worked another full-time job and made this the part-time job, where I at least worked a part-time job. And then, as you all know, I mean, for Linda and I, we then also started our own cottage businesses. So, um, it, it, Because the, the deal was, when I worked for the state, and this is where I learned the lesson, I'm working as a mechanic. This is how much they pay you. At the end of the year, they do a job evaluation you get evaluated, which didn't amount to anything, because the General Assembly goes, we're doing a a percent and a half this year. Everybody gets a percent and a half. The guy that slept three quarters of the year in the cubicle next to me got a percent and a half. I'm over here working because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I got a percent and a half. Like, Didn't take long to figure out that math. And I'm not too keen on this. And the only one that really made out was the guy that slept three quarters of the time in the cubicle next to me. He seemed to love his job. <laughs> me, not so much. And the benefits, and the benefits yeah. But uh, so I went and talked to the HR person and I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting in for all these jobs. I'm trying to get a raise. I've, I, I got enough rejection notes. To to wallpaper my house, and and I'm still here, and I I, you know this isn't, I'm going nowhere. I got a young family. I can't I can't pay the bills. What do I need to do? How do I make more money? Was my question. And she asked me a different question. She says, "Well, what do you want to do?" I don't know. I that's an odd question. I mean, I just need a bigger paycheck. (laughs) But what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, she says, well, I can tell you this. If you're going to stay with the state of Delaware, working in maintenance is a, is a dead end place. If, you're gonna, if you want to move up, you're going to have to get move over to construction. Because in construction, is where the jobs are. It's where the better paying jobs are. I'm like, all right. So I just started praying to move to construction. And I got more rejection notices. Praise God. (laughs) So I went back to her and I was frustrated because I thought I took her advice, which really I hadn't. So I went back to her and I said, look, Lorraine, I've got four more, whatever it was, rejection notices on on jobs I've applied for. And she's, well, do you know why that's happening? I would love to know why it's happening. Because you look like everybody else, says so you're no more qualified than any of the, of the other people applying for this job. And then I, I went for another interview, and that was in the lab in Dover. And the guy did the interview. We talked. He goes, "Well, you know, I, I you know, would love to have you working in the lab." And he says, "See this?" And there was a stack of applications on his desk. And he says. See that stack? I said, Yep. He says, You happen to be the top one right now, but I've got to do all these interviews. He goes, the problem is you all look alike. He said, You're all equally qualified, equally disqualified. He goes, I don't know what to do. I gotta hire two people. He says, I don't I don't I don't even know. Nobody stands out. That made me feel really good. And anyway, so he said, I've made up my mind. He said, I'm, I'm going home tonight. So I have a two-story home. I'm going home tonight. I'm going to stand at the top of the steps, and I'm going to throw them down the steps. And the two that make it to the bottom are the two I'm hiring. I walked out going, I know I'm not flying. <laughs> so, and I didn't make it to the bottom because I never got the job. So I go back to Lorraine, still frustrated. And she says, well, you're going to have to have more education. I "I mean, that almost made me sick to my stomach. I said, I barely had education the first time through. (laughs) And now you're talking about going to college? College is where smart people go. There's no way I can go to college. She says, well, I'm just telling you, if you want to change, you're going to have to do that. I I know I've told this story before, but it took me three tries to even get in Dell Tech far enough to actually talk to somebody. First two times, first time I never got out of the car, I was so petrified that I just stood or sat in the car and stared at the door into the school. Second time, I got out of the car, got as far as the foyer, got in the foyer, looked around at all these people carrying books, And they all looked smart to me. I, I don't belong here. And I walked out and got in the truck and I left. Third time, got out of the truck, got through the door, made it through the foyer, and talked to this lady in emissions. And I said, I, I, I think I want to. I think I need to get a get. I think I need to go to school. And she's, oh well, that's great. So glad to see you. She fills all this stuff out. She, so and then they, then she said, to, she's, well, if you know, you're married, you have two kids, you'll qualify for Pell Grant. You know, they just, yeah. So basically, we can pr- pretty much cover your whole education. Right. Yeah, Shabbat. <laughs> so. And so with that, anyway, I, I went back to school, I got my degree, and before my, I even finished my degree, I'd already landed two new jobs. I had transitioned twice, and I was in construction before I finished my degree, and then the rest took off. If, I, if my ceiling is $15, working harder isn't going to change that. So I have to then say, what is it God is doing in me? What does he put in me? What do I love doing? What's and and well what what do I love doing? And then what does that look like? Because, you know, if what I really love doing is testing mattresses, <laughs> getting a degree in that isn't going to pay any more money. But if if what I'm, if my heart is to build something, what what you know what what generates, you know what generates passion in me, then I start looking at that. Because as I said, I in all my years here, I love doing what I'm doing right now. This is my favorite spot of the week. And I love doing this. I love every part of being the senior leader. I love the interactions. Yeah, there's its moments, but overall. I love this. And I've never thought about how much I make. I've never done this because it was a good paying job, mainly because it isn't. But, (laughs) (coughs) But I love it. And so I do it, and I do it with all that's within me. And what I've seen is God in his provision and his providence, because I'm doing what I love, he has been a good provider. And I and you start to realize, as I read in Proverbs, that for those that think you just need the big splash, and somehow it's the big splash that's going to set you up in life, the big splash is this. You develop wealth little by little, over time, being consistent, being diligent. And so today, I live in a place of wealth creation that was not where I was when I was in my 20s and my 30s. It didn't even really start to shift until I was in my mid-40s, but it shifted nonetheless. God's providence was always with us. We always, we always paid our bills. We were never on the street, all that. But, you know, but it also, you have to look at what do I need to do to get where, to where it is I think I'm supposed to be? You know, for us, we decided, wow, we can't, we're not gonna do a mortgage, so we can't really afford a house. Well, here's a great idea let's find a barn and move in it. And then we'll make it a house over time. Thankfully, the animals had moved out. Took us, we, we lived with Linda's mom for a year and a half while I, worked every night, every weekend. Everything we did, we, you know, if I could buy 10 two by fours, that was how much work I did. If we could get, buy some carpet, that's what we did. You know, Linda's mom was gracious. She wasn't trying to kick us out of that. But we were there you know, at least a year and a half. And, but we're working towards something. So there was a day we moved in the barn. The first floor was, I don't know, 75% done. Second floor looked like a barn. Our, our, our bedroom was the fold-out couch in the living room. When the kids came along, we hung a blanket between to separate. That was our wall. And their two cribs were on the other side. So when we went to bed at night, you had to be really quiet. Because if the kids knew that you were still awake, dad, 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 mom. Mom, Mom, like you know, you roll over. Linda, I told you to stop breathing. <laughs> I was like, but you did it. But on a certain day, we sold that house. And that house, when we sold it, uh, yeah, there was the expenses that went in it, but we didn't satisfy a mortgage only to take another mortgage, we took all the money from what we sold, and we actually bought our first home, which is where we live now. Now, we have a mortgage on that home, so we didn't pay it all off. But still, it, we lived in the barn for 22 years. I was still working on it the day we sold it. Actually, Linda would remind me quite often I don't know why you're so fired up to put the trim on there now. You, we've been here 22 years, you never put the trim on. Because like, I'm selling it. Jeez. Well, somehow that doesn't make me feel good. It was just, I mean, it was invisible until I decided to sell the house. And all of a sudden you look around and you go, crap, i got a lot i got to get done. Somehow I was content with it when I was just living there, but so i fixed it up for somebody else glory to god so uh, so get out of consumer debt start being start asking holy spirit for wisdom with, with what debt you have where can i reduce it and where do i not take on more you know we we've i we've, uh, we've been convinced in this country, and, and I'm, I, I, I'm not really problematic. I don't have a problem with it, per se. But you know, we, there's a lot of emphasis put on home ownership. Not everybody needs to own a home. For some of us, renting is the most economical thing we can do. You go, well, yeah, but I'm having to pay this rent. Yeah, but they handle everything. If the hot water heater blows up, you just call the Mr. Landlord, and he fixes it. So it's not that renting, you know, it's not an either-or thing. It's like, what's the wisdom of God here for me in my situation with my economic package that I'm living with? What's the right decision for me? And then the Lord will, will show us. He'll lead us into those places where we need to go. Um. Everybody okay? Yeah. Oh my goodness! It's quarter after (laughs) twelve. I. uh, I didn't budget very well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Uh, One. Here's a couple quotes, and then we'll land the plane for today. Uh, I can't pronounce this gentleman's name, but the book that he wrote is Wealth for All, Living a Life of Success on the Edge of Your Ability. It's a really good book. But this is a quote from him. He says, when money realizes it's in good hands, it wants to stay and multiply in those hands. So what kind of hands do I have? Sometimes I kick against the prick because money doesn't stay. And I blame everybody else when in fact it's money is already determined. My hands aren't ready for it yet. So it just seems to pass through. So what kind of hands what kind of hands do I have? Uh, Jim Jim, uh, Ron says this, money is usually attracted, not pursued. I'm discovering that right now in Bahamas. Money is being attracted to us. We're not even pursuing it. Now, we've done our piece to be where we are, but all of a sudden money starts rising up, and you are going, wow, I didn't work for it. I, all I did was pr- uh, prepare a place for it to land. And when I prepared the place for it to land, myself and others, when we got to the point that it was ready, it started to attract the money. I've been doing this for years. You know, so we, we incorporated in 2016, only now. Is it starting to attract money? But in, in 2016, we didn't have the vehicle for the money to be attracted to. It's taken us this long to, to develop it. It's had its failures. It's had its discouragements. It's had its frustrations and it's had its lack, but we kept doing it. We kept doing what we had to do. We kept, uh, building the structure and at a certain point, it started to attract the money, and it started to attract attention. Maya Angelou says this, which goes back to something I said earlier. She says, you can only become truly accomplished at something you love. Don't make money your goal. Instead, pursue the things you love doing. Pursue the things you love doing and then do them well that people can't take their eyes off of you when you're doing them. That one really resonated with me because we're actually doing foundations. Well, foundation builders, well, Now that's not a brag. It's just, Mm -hmm. we are, and all of a sudden people can't take their eyes off of us because what we're, what we're offering is hope. And for all of us, whatever we do, if you want to succeed at what you're doing, sow things that reflect the fruit of the spirit and it'll attract people every time. So are we are in whatever I do, is it does it give me the place to give hope away? Does it give me the place to give peace away? Does it allow me to move somebody from injustice to a place of justice? Does it give me the opportunity to, to help somebody shift from a place of poverty into a different mindset? Do those things that people will not be able to take their eyes off of you. And it will attract money for you to do what you're going to do, because that's the way God's providence works. But you got to do your part. So for all of us, just stop being lazy. Stop stop putting it all on God, like, well, he just never answers my prayer. Well, no, he's not going to, because you're a spoiled brat. God doesn't reward spoiled brats. He rewards those that diligently pursue him. Now, here's a final thought, and this one I am shutting up on. Um, and this is uh, this is why we need to get out of debt. Um, again, this is another guy; can't pronounce his name. Um, She says, there are few problems in the world that economic prosperity cannot help solve. Yet, the engines of that prosperity are under fierce attack. The forces that seek power over others have gained the upper hand against those who seek freedom. By harming wealth creation, they cause even more strain on society. Historically, this is nothing new. State domination over its subjects has roots that connect statism, totalitarianism, communism, and socialism to more modern-day variants of liberalism and progressivism. It's a constant fight. The way that we get as free as we possibly can is to actually be free. And our first place in freedom is getting economically free. So our money is our money. We get to say where it goes. We get to say where what it does. And we get to decide our generosity. Because when somebody else decides my generosity, it's not generosity. It's just a tax. So that's enough for today. So Father, I just release over this room and those that are represented by this room, uh, Lord, I release over all of us. Let, Let our hearts rise up in you with this place of hope and expectation that your providence is for us, with us, and in us, and that you have prepared paths for us to walk in, that we may be people that generate wealth but that we might understand why we generate wealth in the first place. Lord, that it's not, we don't carry with us a love for money. But what we do carry is a love for you and your kingdom and what money can accomplish to see those things come on the earth. So, Father, I just just speak wisdom over each one of us. Help us see where we can make changes. Help us see how to, to work in our finances on a daily basis. Let each person in this room become a very good manager of the wealth they already have.